podcasting from Heroes Media Group with real, relevant, and raw opinions. This is the College Sports Hour with your host, Clint McPherson, and co-host, Greg Dixon. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode 23 of the College Sports Hour. I'm your host, Clint, and I'm sitting here, like always, with my brother in crime, my partner in crime, Greg. What is going on, my man? Oh, see, now we're now we brothers in crime. We ain't just partners in crime. We brothers in crime. Exactly. Too. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot. I like it like a, a box of chocolate. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot. Oh. <laughs> All right, man. So, all right, guys. Let's let's let's, let's get off, off really really good right now. Okay, this is going to be a great episode. Let's get off of that, guys, because we like it a lot. If you can't tell, but oh, on today's God. episode, <laughs> we'll start talking about what went down during college football's national signing day. I know earlier on in February that's when it ended, but we haven't touched on that. But this episode is going to be solely focused and directed towards the Atlantic Coast Conference. Not because that's we're in the bed of the Atlantic Coast Conference, but just because it lands alphabetically. So we'll also alphabetical order. (laughs) Exactly, we learned that in in, in grade school, right? So some of us did. It just makes sense, right? That's true. (laughs) But we'll continue this discussion going forward, talking on other um, conferences as well in future episodes, where we'll talk about the Big Twelve, the the Big Ten, the Pac twelve, and the SEC, which really ended. this national signing day with a huge huge day oh, yeah. um, at the end of it and the sec again shows you why they're the cream of the crop in the conferences whether we like to admit it or not they just end up with the best recruiting classes right everybody's still playing catch up to that conference when it comes to the totality of the players that are uh that are coming to, to that conference to play without a doubt so after talking about that guys and the acc through this episode and the first part in the college football segment We'll transition right into what's going on currently in the college basketball landscape after week 15. But before we transition to week 15, we have to talk about Duke's great comeback against Louisville. Ridiculous. And then we'll talk like normal with the sole focus on with the discussion geared towards everybody in the AP Top 25. And man, like always, let's start this show off with some college football. Why not, man? Everybody loves college football no matter what time of the year you're in, no matter what season, no matter what month. College football is always something that everybody wants to talk about. Definitely a good talking points here. We got the ACC and we got and we're going to look at how they graded out after and during National Signing Day. So, we're going to start off with obviously the best team in the nation, the Clemson Tigers. So yeah, they, man, gra- they go ahead. They, they grade out like we thought, right? With an A. So why, yeah, why not? Why not give the national champion, you know, defending national champions, an, an A grade? Why? Because they continue to uh, refill their tank, man. No matter how many players they they seem to lose, and no matter where the holes seem to come out, they always seem to be able to recruit the right guys to come in to fill the right positions. And that's something that you got to love about Dabo Sweeney and his staff. He's not just recruiting guys; he's recruiting the right kind of guys that'll fit into his system, play well, play hard, and uh, man, high character guys as well for the most part, from what we can tell. It's very interesting to see what they continue to do. Um, you know, traditionally when I was growing up, Clemson was just not a team that you looked forward to, to bringing in that that are going to consistently bring in the top classes in the ACC or in college football in general. So they come in with a national rank of closing, closing signing day out ranked at 10, right? But some of the players they got from that, and they also bring in another top 10 class nationally is just, it continues to show what Dabo and his team is building there, which is great. And I'm looking at the amount of money his his assistants are getting paid now, right? Somewhere somewhere near the millions of dollars. I mean, when when you as a coach can start getting other coaches to commit and, and not only um, you know continue to do what you do, but money has to come along with that, and he is getting that for his assistants, which is just again when you have assistants making upwards of millions of dollars, it's it's incredible. Yeah, man, and they were able to. They would bring home some top-tier talent as well. Uh, a year after signing one of the top-rated pocket, pocket passers of 2018, 
They bring in another top 300 QB, uh, signed him out of Connecticut this past year. I ain't going to try to pronounce his name. <laughs> I know you kept leaving it for me to try, but I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. Uh, I think it's Tyson something, but uh, but I'm not sure that. But he's, anyway, he's out of Connecticut. We'll see how he does this year. If he's any good, we'll learn his name. Uh, but he also was able to get some some letters of intent from several future targets for those quarterbacks, including one of the top wide receiver prospects uh, in the class, Mr. Frank Ladson Jr. out of South Florida as well. And that's a good pool, man, when you look yep. at it. Anytime they can get something out of the Sunshine Sunshine State is very good because you got a lot of talent down in Florida. Just, Homer. <laughs> hey, I'm not just saying that, but you, but you do. When you can reach down in the bed of Florida and actually land them instead of letting them go to a Miami, a Florida, or Florida State, that's big news. Yeah, man, you're, you're exactly right. I, I do agree with that. I'm just giving you a hard time about being a homer, even though you are. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, – but, no, there's a lot of talent there in Florida, man, and they were able to pluck one right out of there and bring them on up to South Carolina. And as we – and a good transition point here is talking about the Florida State Seminoles. Yeah, and man. I, as much of a homer as I might be from Florida, you're looking at it. It's a team that seems like things are possibly continuing to fall apart. <laughs> um, they f- finish out, you know, with a with a B plus in grade yep. wise. They finish national rank 19, which you kind of want to see that um, be a little bit better. But when you have Willie Taggart coming in, really hasn't. Everybody says he's proven himself as a coach. Just been with lower level competition. I know, you know, he's taken teams from here to there, but it's it's he it really hasn't done anything when in my eyes as far as you know. He's never taken a national power that's struggling and made them a national power again, right? Right. And so he's taking these lower-level teams and actually been able to make them better. And, yeah, it's too early to really say Willie Taggart's going to be a bust for Florida State. But, man, what happened at Florida State with all the promises and the, you know, do-something motto and them falling flatter in the face and then the offseason, you know, we let go of the quarterback that's supposed to be returning to give us some continuity there you know, through the, the domestic violence or whatever the case was with that. But right. then, you know, the, all the coaching shuffle. And it seems like the line has been drawn in the sand at Florida State. And, you know, this could be, hey, Willie Taggart, you do something or you're going to be shipped off. I'm just saying that's where we're sitting at. Look, uh, you know, you would hate to you would hate to think that a guy doesn't get longer than a year, year and a half, maybe two years to implement his system. Uh, but, man, we see it all the time, man. Coaches are, are, are there one minute and gone the next. And so uh, you're right, man. Uh, you know, he, he definitely has got something to prove this year, and we'll wait and see what happens there. They do get the 19th-rate class coming in, and while that may not be something that Florida State fans are, you know, necessarily excited because they want to see more, they're used to having a higher class than that. Uh, after the after the way that that Florida State played this season, I think yeah, you know we could probably probably pull some you know it's definitely some high spots out of that. Although the lack of quarterback play is something that's still going to continue mm. to to be an issue this year, it would seem to look like. Yeah, and then what really is hurting them uh, before we move on is the the not landing a quarterback in the last two, you know, in the last two classes, and so that yeah. that that's huge. And when it, that means you're struggling. That means there's an image problem. That means people like we've had these high talented quarterbacks, you know, want to commit to Florida State, and then you know, a Mac Brown pulls them away to North Carolina, or this person pulls them away from here. It just seems like right now things are falling apart at Florida State, and hopefully, them bringing in the new offensive coordinator and and them trying to get some some consistent play on the offensive line could turn things around for them and and really get Willie Taggart's you know coaching career at Florida State off off on the right foot because again the first year was just not good for him not good for you can tell it almost drained his life force out because he just didn't know what he was stepping into he looked like he was lost from time to time on the sideline and hopefully going forward he's a little more confident and and, and shows that on the sideline and and is confident in what he's doing because you you don't want to see a coach lacking confidence on the sideline or just you know hey I'm the play caller but guess what we're losing so I'm going to hand off those duties to somebody else I mean that just doesn't bode well for you as a coach and the confidence with that is kind of a little shaky well, I think it's safe to say that you know, move, uh, you know, coming from Oregon to Florida State, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's, you know, uh, out of the way at all to say, man, that's a whole different culture shock. Uh, Losing someone, hand off those duties to somebody else. I mean, that just doesn't bode well for you as a coach, and the confidence with that is kind of a little shaky. Well, I think it's safe to say that you know, move, uh, you know, coming from Oregon to Florida State, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's, you know, uh, out of the way at all to say, man, that's a whole different culture shock. 
uh, coming from uh, the Oregon Ducks program down to down to Florida State Seminole ca- uh, territory, heading down to Tallahassee and seeing how things are going there, man. It's a there's a slightly different, I would say, expectation that's put in play uh, there. Yeah, Oregon in years past has been a contender uh, for national championships and everything like that, but you don't have the history that Florida State does. That's true. So let's get off of my team and let's talk All about right. the Virginia Tech Hokies, man. They grade out as a B, finish a national rank of 27th. And so it seemed like they took a step back on the field this year in 2018. But, man, started signing day in 2019 with a bang. You know, they ended up flipping number 72 overall, Doug Nestor from Ohio State. And that's a huge land for this Virginia Tech Hokies team. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're coming off of a team in Florida State where uh, looking for a bounce back season. And so is Virginia Tech, for that matter. Uh, they had a, they had a lot of injuries that seemed to play come into play for them last year. Uh, did decent, but certainly not the team that are the season that the Hokies were anticipating having. Uh, man, they were able through this uh, through signing day uh, to replenish the wide receiver position and knowing that that was crucial. Uh, and the staff responded there by signing uh, ESPN top 300 wide receiver uh, Jacoby Pinckney. Uh, he signed him out there as well as uh, Jaden. I ain't going to say his name last name either <laughs> at North Carolina, uh, man. But signing some several guys, several keys there that are going to be some weapons uh, for that offensive side of the ball to be able to use. Yeah, without a doubt. Let's move on to my, the Miami Hurricanes, man. They grade out as a B, national rank 30th. They, it seemed like, you know, you, don't, you didn't know how this was going to go when you had Mark Rick at the helm, right? I mean, especially yeah. how – Things started turning out and how, how fast he, they pushed him out of the door or he retired or whatever it was from college football. I got it. But when you look at it, man, Manny Diaz ends up closing out, I would say, in a strong fashion when you look at the hand he was dealt, right? They grade sure. out of his B, national rank 30th. Not very but, long. There wasn't a whole lot of time period in there for him to get, get himself situated, get his staff situated, and get this recruiting process underway. Exactly. So, you know, you know – We'll see how it plays out, but it could be a rough 2019 for that team. But at the end of the day, it's, it's another situation. You're going to have to give this guy time to develop the team and make them what they are. I know his defense will be ready, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's kind of that's kind of what they're holding on to right now. Uh, uh, I don't know that the turnover chain's going anywhere. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out there for this Miami team. Uh, but there'll be there'll certainly be some eyes that'll be watching there uh, about uh, with with Diaz and his whole entire staff and seeing how they handle the transition this year. Yep, and so let's move on to NC State, the Wolfpack, right here, right in my neck of the woods. They grid out as a B with a national rank of 31. And so when you look at it, they've had the third-best class in the conference and sit in the, in the top 35 nationally, which is huge for them after a nine-win season on the field. They didn't have a bad year last year. I just thought for some reason they it just seemed like a team. I saw them play several times, and a couple times in person. They just seemed to be overrated to me. And it kind of right. proved that way towards some of these games they just, you know, couldn't deliver. Well, I mean, this right here is going to be a team, too, that's looking to replace some, uh, some you know, key uh, starters on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Uh, probably none more important than the quarterback position heading yep. into this year. So they got it. They got a couple of guys in there that are coming into the mix. Uh, they got to sign a couple of guys that'll come in there as uh, as freshmen. But also they've got the uh, uh, junior college transfer now Bailey Hockman that'll come in there as well to try to compete for that job. And so we'll see what happens with them. Yeah, they have. It's gonna have some. They have a little bit of talent. You know, Ty Evans. You know, the quarterback, and then like you said, Bailey Hockman. You know that they both of them bring plenty of arm talent to Raleigh, and that's gonna be a huge um, upside for. NC State Wolfpack. True story. There is another team sitting there just a couple of miles away from the NC State Wolfpack, the North Carolina Tar Heels, who come in with a grade of a B minus and get a national ranking class of number 37 with Mac Brown back at the helm for the UNC Tar Heels. And he's definitely made his presence felt, my man, with, you know, some of these, the one we talked about earlier. And, and, right. and, and on his short time in the recruiting trail, you know, him coming back into coaching, that was a big catch for North Carolina. You know, he might again be a little older than you would want in a coach to really kick you off your um you know your program again but he's still been he's very successful in what he's done in the past and man what he did which was a big blow to my team in Florida State <laughs> was he flipped ESPN 300 quarterback Sam Howell from us from Florida State alone and that right there set the tone for the recruit, recruiting in-state talent in the 2020 class because Sam Howell is a North Carolina dude and yep. him, him keeping him in the state was huge for him. 
Oh, absolutely, man. And and you know, I, you know, there is that adage out there. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, colleges are looking at you needing to have the next young guy to step into that play, and he could you know connect with these uh, you know these high school players better and recruit them better. But Mac Brown comes with a track record, man. He was extremely successful in North Carolina. He was, and then he obviously went from there to Texas, where he had great success and winning a national championship. So he comes back at this place after you know taking a couple years off. It looks like, man, that he hasn't missed a step as he's really beginning just on paper turning this UNC Tar Heel team around. Oh, no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt that they'll be a lot more competitive than they have in the past years. Yeah, very, 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 very true. Uh, a team that doesn't get a whole lot of love from in the ACC or around the country, for that matter, is the Virginia Cavaliers who come in uh, getting a grade of a B-minus class for this year and getting a national rank of 40, which, I, which I, in my opinion, man, is great for them. Yeah, when you look at what they ended up doing on the field in 2018, they seemed to, from time to time, they ascended on the field in 2018, and 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 like you said, this is this is a shocker to us because it, they seem they're seeming to do it on the recruiting trail as well, um, and it's big for them to finish in the top half of the ACC in this recruiting. Class. Yeah, man, they've got a they got a defensive tackle coming in there, uh, Mr. Briggs, uh, which is a big win out of Ohio to headline their class this year. So he's certainly going to get a lot of play in time for this uh, for this Virginia Cavalier defense and going to get a chance to shine and show the world what he can do. And I like the speedy guy they landed out of Sunshine State, the playmaker Seneca Millage. That was a huge land for this team. And just look out, guys. I mean, Virginia is definitely going to be. I mean, if you're if you're being able to do to do what they ha, have done with as little as they have over there, it's huge for them. I mean, in yeah. teams like this, the teams like we're going to talk about next in the Duke Blue Devils, being able to land these national 50, you know, ranked classes are, are huge for these smaller colleges. Absolutely, and you mentioned them, so let's go ahead and let's talk about them, man, the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, if you if anybody watched them play last year, you could see that they, uh, offensive side of the ball, man, they had a lot of firepower. They had some things that they could do, but they couldn't stop anybody, man. Defensive <laughs> defense uh, was an extremely tough thing for them to be able to pull off, so they went all in on defense this year in this year's recruiting class, uh, knowing that the defensive line was a critical need, so they went in there and got a three-star defensive end, Ahmad Craig, Christian Rory, and R.J. Oban uh, that bring really big frames to Durham uh, that kind of help uh, to kind to help out with that as long as a defensive tackle named Dwayne Carter who's gonna bring some quickness to that defensive line to try to shore that thing up yeah and then when you look at it some of the higher star rated players and the four stars and in state um cornerback Tony Davis was huge they bring in another cornerback that six foot one Isaiah Kemp I mean he you know he has long arms and I mean this team it's just amazing what like a team like Duke or Virginia can do with a three-star talent or the four-star yep. talent that, you know, are, are seemingly afterthoughts. But but these coaches get these boys to play, and it's just amazing to see um, what they can do on the field. Yeah, man, I think it says a lot for the coach and the coaching staff there that you're able to get these guys to buy into the system, get them to buy into their abilities, and trust the people that are around them uh, to, you know, to, to hold their position and to do what they're supposed to do. And it really is the, you know, the framework for a great team game. Definitely. Let's move on to the Pittsburgh Panthers, man. They bring in a C minus national rank of forty eight, and when you look at the Panthers class, it might rank ninth in the conference, but but little needs were filled. So when it comes down to it, there wasn't much there. You you know the four star um, defensive back Brandon Hill and AJ Woods Jr. I mean, look, they got some key players and, and some um, key positions that they need, but there wasn't much there because they have a lot of talent coming back. Yeah, they sure do, and you mentioned it, uh, you know, earlier in our podcast. But uh, the state of Florida, man, they are really starting to supplement a lot of these teams, and uh, certainly didn't stop here with the Pittsburgh Panthers. They have been key in this class. Uh, they getting uh, getting the running back Daniel Carter, defensive tackle Clea uh, and Cansey uh, as well, man, bringing them up there to Pittsburgh to try to help this team along as well. Without a doubt, I mean the Pittsburgh Panthers or Pittsburgh Panthers last year, you they were a team that you know we knew that they weren't going to make a lot of noise. But, man, there was a team that you couldn't sleep on either in, in, in any game. Yeah, man. Uh, speaking of the other team that you couldn't sleep on, <laughs> the team that we actually picked to win a couple of those games that we were picking last this past season was the Wake Forest Demon Deacons as they get the uh, grade of a C uh, class coming in this year with a national rank of number 54. And when you look at this team, and a lot of people don't talk about the, the kickers, but they brought out a three-star kicker, Ivan Morin, but he's one of the nation's very best. And when you say, say three-star, you know, you're not going to get too many kickers that are coming in here just uh, breaking the star rating, right, or however right. they come up with this. But 
when you look at it, they land this kid, and hopefully he can he can deliver for this team. But when 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 you got a when you got a recruiting class as headlined by in-state four-star, you know Donovan Green and Nolan Kroll. I mean, it, it's huge. And then again, we continue to talk about the Sunshine State for a reason. You know, three-star <laughs> quarterback Michael Kern. I mean, who can make all the throws? He just needs a little add a little bit of strength to to his game. But at the end of the day, man. Wake Forest, still another smaller college, didn't do bad on the recruiting trail. Yeah, man, another another team that is you know cranking it out there uh, up there in uh, in Winston Salem, North Carolina. Uh, another team that you know isn't you know isn't known for a lot, but still can do some great things on the field as long as they start continue to recruit some some good talent. Was the Boston College Eagles, man? They get a grade of C this year as well, coming out with a national rank class of number fifty six. Yeah, and. and, and... <laughs> And Boston College is not a team that, you know, when uh, they're not just not going to, this is one of those teams that, you know, the Doug Fluties are gone, the the, the Matty Ices are gone, you know, right. it's like, Luke man. Keekley. Luke Keekley's gone. Yeah, Luke Keekley's gone. But I mean, you, you know, you're going to have those players from time to time bust up on the scene. But, you know, they, they, have, they had another solid season on the field and, you know, it helped the Eagles land some more key pieces for the future, which was headlined by ESPN 300 QB, Sam Johnson and four-star running back, Patrick Garrow. Those were huge two lands for a team that really needs a quarterback and really needs a running back. Yeah, man, they loaded up on the defensive side of the ball as well, specifically in that front seven, landing some great defensive tackles some defensive ends in there as well, along with the linebacker class as well. So this is going to be another team that's kind of retooled a little, little bit and it can build on the decent season that it had last year. Definitely. And another team that can continue to rebuild is Syracuse Orange. When you look at them, the, the, the success they had on the field in 2018 was huge. And, and it's a step forward and a step in the right direction. And the culture is being changed over there. And it's great. But, man, when you look at it and they grade out as a C, it's like when, when do teams like you know Boston College or, or the Syracuse Orange, even after good seasons, have – these you know good recruiting years and it's really going to be few and far between right and so when you look at it the orange do they do capitalize on a successful season on the field by, and they added some key pieces um four-star offensive linebacker or offensive linebacker outside linebacker <laughs> Mikel jones i mean you know he's a good bet to play early i mean that yep. they're probably going to plug plug that kid in he'll probably be playing from day one um he's he's that talented so I mean, the Syracuse Orange are doing good things, and, and, and this is going to be exciting to see if they can continue to move forward in the right direction. Yeah, man, they were also able to flip a three-star quarterback, David Summers, from Maryland as well. Uh, so that's something to be said there as well. I kind of thought that their class might be a little bit higher after the run they had this year. Um, but, uh, you know, as long as they continue to, to put in some of these winning seasons like they're able to this past year, that I think we're going to see that national ranking class continue to uh, progress upward. Yeah, man, and, and like I said, it's good when you can add these four-star players and even mm -hmm. these, some of these three-star players and having them flip from – you know, some of the the teams that you're competing with on the recruiting trail. And, and when you can dip down and flip somebody, that's always an exciting feeling as a coach to where, you know, or a coaching staff that said, you know, shows you that what you're putting out there, the message that you're putting out there, people are buying into it. Yeah, man. Uh, a team, another team that's having to really kind of back up and punt a little bit here is the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, man. They're under new head coach Jeff Collins, and they came in this year with his first recruiting class getting a grade of C and a national ranking class of 60 coming into this season. Yeah, you knew with Georgia Tech, it's just a matter of time. They've just been having average years. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, when, when we're in the day and age in college football where being competitive and, and winning games is number one, you know, and, and – you have to, especially to be competitive. And Georgia Tech has been competitive in the past. And the triple option, when it's on, it's right. on. And I don't know much about Jeff Collins, and I don't know if he's still bringing that same mentality, if we'll see a different team. I have no idea. But, you know, in, in years past, obviously Georgia Tech has been based and in, in, in founded off the triple option. So you, you have those it, – it's one of those things that it's just still not as common as, as it was back in the day. Um, right. And, and so, something very hard to game plan against because when it's on, it's on. But when it's not, it's not. Right. You know, but you but it's like when you're in the ACC, that's only going to take you so far. Right. Because you have to have, I believe, you know, that that passing game to go along with what you're doing, even in the running game. 
they uh you know they knew that they needed to add some talent to the wide receiver pool and they were able to do that also landing some three-star talent in the tight end position and the four-star talent in the quarterback position but kind of one one cool uh, cool note there for the uh yellow jacket signing for this year is they went to europe and Boom. signed a three-star defensive end out of Belgium. So you don't see that every day. So I thought that was kind of cool to highlight. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. when you, you don't see that every day. And it's good to see these international players, whether, hey, he's a talented, athletic individual that never played football. I mean, you see that a lot in basketball, too. These huge kids, these monster, of they're just athletic. You know, they might have played another sport or haven't played before, but they teach them. Yep. A lot of these kids, you know, have quick learning curves can jump right in and, and figure it out and so when you look at them dipping in europe it is it is very big especially with the nfl playing games in europe and um i mean it's just it, it's just exciting to see that very true it is and to kind of round out our acc conversation let's go on down for the louisville cardinals mm. as they come in this year falling hard with a grade of a c minus <laughs> and a national rank of 68 with their recruited class this year yeah, man, long gone are the days of your Lamar Jackson, right? I mean, it's like it seems like he <laughs> it, played. It seems like it, don't it? It seems like he played yesterday, though. When you look yeah. at it, you're thinking, um, "Hey, Louisville is going to be there for a while. Uh, they're going to be up there in the talks." You know, when you have a Heisman Trophy winner or, or, or somebody that's right there on the verge of competing with the best players in the nation, right? Or, right. or getting invited to New York. I mean. You're like, man, Louisville's figured it out. You know, the the coach has figured it out, but then he he's gone. And then yep. Lamar Jackson's gone. And yep. now this team has been just they are not the same. The athletes just seem like they just I mean, I, I'm they could they become, you know, the Dukes or the Vanderbilts of the world and I'm not trying to put Duke down or the Vanderbilts, but man, when you look at it historically, when I was growing up, Duke was usually at the bottom of the conference, right? Oh, yeah. And oh, so yeah. so now it seems like Duke continues to trend and has been trending for years now. So, But the only reason I say that is because as I was growing up, that's what I remember. And, oh, I remember and, it too. Very and, well. And, and I know, yeah, you've went <laughs> a lot of your lifetime, right? Um, right. And so the, the long gone was the Steve Spurrier days, you know, <laughs> so, yes. when he was the coach. So, yeah. but now, I mean, Duke's playing good. So, so now it's like, who plays that role of the bottom player in the ACC? I mean, Louisville is starting to trend in that direction. Obviously, you're always going to have Boston College and, and some of these other teams. It's just hard to rank and get team and get team players to play for your team, right? Because you just don't have much to sell from, like some of these other, you know, living in the Sunshine State, living in Texas, living right. in California. It's hard to compete against teams like that. Yeah, you don't really have a whole lot to sell as far as, you know, Miami's, Miami's got Miami or, you know, exactly. or Florida right. State's got their tradition or, right. or Texas has got tradition. What do we have for Louisville to use as a, as a recruiting tool or anything like that? Uh, so Scott Satterfield, the new head coach, man, he's got a lot of work to do. His recruiting class isn't where they would want it to be. But, hey, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, you definitely do. But, I mean, again, Sunshine State's strong in, with them. Um, but when you look at it, man, their their class was headlined by with a letter of intent from ESPN 300 edge rusher Jadarian Boykin from the Peach State. I mean, that's huge for them. Sure. And so if, if it obviously it's a letter of intent, but at the end of the day, man, if, if they, they pull this, that cat in with, with several other letters of intent that came through, it will help them out greatly. Well, what do you say we put this conversation of college football to bed and we Draw. wake up a conversation about college basketball and what took place this past week uh, and what hap what might happen uh, to this upcoming week as well? Yeah, but before we do that, because this happened right after our episode, yep, we have to talk about, because we can't forget about it, because typically if, if anybody listens to our show, which hope everybody in the world does, but, it's right. But yeah. Tell your friends. Yeah. Make sure you share it. But hey, you know, we typically record on, we were recording on Sundays. We moved it to Mondays. And so some of these games we try to touch on that might get shuffled in because we, we start talking about the AP Top 25 and the power rankings or whatever, the bubble watch. But man, we cannot go and leave this episode because we almost left it out. Yeah, we did. And we, we, had like, to, we were talking about it. Yeah, like, Wait a minute, that yeah, happened. Yeah, and so and we're like, did we talk about this last week? No, we did not. We have to talk about Duke's amazing comeback over Louisville. They trailed by 23 points. With how many minutes left? There were 10 minutes left to go in the game, and they were down by 23. Boom, 23, and they come back to win. So let's talk about that, man. 
Yeah, man. So, uh, man, it was a it was a horrible game to watch. <laughs> it was <laughs> for the first thirty minutes. It was a horrible game to watch, and you're sitting there trying to figure out, man, what in the world's going on here? Kept waiting for Duke to make the run, and they just wouldn't. I mean, just no matter what they tried, man, Louisville had something had an answer for them. We couldn't hit a shot to save our lives. And then all of a sudden, it was like a, a switch flip there about the ten minute mark. Uh, there was a timeout that was called. And Zion Williamson was asked about it after the game, and he said, uh, "Coach, he said, Coach looked at them all and said, I don't coach losers, I coach winners. Yeah. So go win. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, let's match up here and let's go with it. <laughs> Magic. But when I look at it, man, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. When, when my team performs like this, and Duke's not my team, but like Florida State, when they're down by 23, it's the second half, and I just know, like, you know there there is a, a slim chance that they can come back. Yeah. But then once you get past, you know, once you get down to the 10-minute mark, the seven-minute <laughs> mark, and they're down by 20, you're like, you write them off. And, oh, I do. And so sure. I typically turn the game off or find another game and watch that. I don't even pay attention because I'm, at that point, I'm so frustrated that I'm not – I'm like, I don't even care. You can come back and win. I'm not even going to be happy about it. Not really. I will be happy about it. But I'll be mad because I changed the channel, which I changed the channel. <laughs> and then I go off and do some other things, whether it was preparing show notes or whatever it was for the next next week. Right. But then I then I see that I missed out on this epic comeback. And typically, I don't have any ties to these teams, so usually I'll watch a game like I watched the Kentucky Tennessee game. But I was like, but I think I've been kind of, I've been rooting for your team this year because of the players they have on them. And, right. and I'm not gonna lie, obviously I want them to lose when they play Florida State. But I, every time I, I watch them, because my wife's a fan, you're a fan. And so I have ties to Duke fans, and I'm like, I'm kind of pulling for him. I like Zion. He's awesome. Reddish is awesome. Trey Jones is awesome. You know, you know, R.J. Barrett's awesome. And so I, I find myself, like, cheering for him, but not really. But then they go by 23. It's 10 minutes <laughs> left. I'm like, dude, Man. channel is being changed. i got to find something more interesting. I mean, yeah. anything at that point was more interesting than watching Duke struggle with the amount of talent they have on, their, on, on the sideline. Yeah, man, it was a 9 o'clock game. It's, it's a nine o'clock game. Ten minutes to go. I'm like, okay, next time out. If they're not making any kind of run here, I'm out. And so they start the second half, and they go two. They make two of seventeen shots in the second half. So he's like, you know what? This is this is ridiculous. We're not even gonna do this. And all of a sudden, man, that that switch flips, and they get hot, and they begin to convert on nine of thirteen. And the, and the process shut down the Cardinals, forcing turnover after turnover after turnover in that game. Now, granted, Louisville was making a couple of boneheaded plays along the way as well. They're taking some bad shots. They were rushing, and they were throwing the ball away. But some of that was Duke's defense as well. Zion Williamson, man, he has you know a great game. Twenty-seven points with twelve rebounds. Plays like the last. 10 minutes of the game with four fouls uh i mean it's just it was it was crazy to watch man trey jones was making play after play after play cam reddish begins to wake up a little bit from his shooting slump hits a tying three-pointer with a minute 28 left and then sinks the final two free throws with 14 seconds left to seal i mean to get the win for the team man it was unreal to watch this thing happen the largest comeback in coach k's history in his time it is historic historically great coach it's the largest deficit a team that he's ever coached has overcome just when you man, props to you or anybody else that hung through that. I mean, that's brutal, and and that's a true like, like I'm a I'm a diehard Florida State fan, and right. but it's just tough to 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 get so frustrated at something. But props to anybody who actually sat there as a Duke fan and watched them come back, because I don't know, I guarantee there's a lot of people that either recorded it or something that just they regretted not seeing it at, live. And props to you for actually hanging in there and telling yourself, you know, if I'm going to turn it, but didn't. And when you when you see them, and the amazing thing, they were two for 17 to open the second half. Right. I mean, Duke was struggling epically. I mean, right. they were struggling. It wasn't like they they were making baskets, and 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 and, and Louisville was just had an answer. You know, it, yep. it was more than that. They were they were not playing. Duke basketball. They weren't playing basketball. Period. It seemed like anybody could have went out there when they were two for seventeen in the second half and and could have got out to a lead like they did. But man, Duke showed the amount of talent and, and the amount of dedication and, and and the the just the heart they have to come back down from that. That that's just huge, man. So man, what, uh, so one of the things that seemed to flip that switch as well 
was when they uh, they they went they went smaller uh, with their with their team and they really began to play a full court zone and man really put the defensive clamp down on there. They they subbed out. Uh, normally they would have like a Marquise Bolden in there or a Javin Delorier in there in that five position, but they really rotated the guys around and they brought in uh, a Bullwire in there. And so you look at this team and in the final you know final few minutes of the game they're playing with five freshmen on the court at the same at the same time. It was, it was crazy to watch all this stuff begin to take place with their defensive effort that allowed them to have an offensive rhythm that they were able to get into with this full court press, which really was a little bit of an eye-opening thing because if you remember back to the Gonzaga game, the same thing happened in the Louisville game that, um, you know, you start playing these guys that can really handle down low and handle Zion or R.J. Baird or any of those guys driving and can really handle those guys, it gives Duke fits. Well, all of a sudden, they started playing this full-court press defense, and it may have triggered something to say, hey, this might be how we need to play these bigger teams as we're as we're moving forward. But, man, Cam Reddish stepped up. 16 of his 22 points came after halftime. R.J. Barrett added 13 for Duke as well. Um, shot a season-low uh, 37% from the field, uh, was able to overcome a 23-point deficit. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I don't. Coach K right here doesn't know what to say, really. He couldn't <laughs> grasp it, the whole rally that, you know, it was like, he didn't. He didn't think. He says he didn't think we can play any better, but you know he was talking po- about the last ten minutes. Yeah, and, and he was being positive, right? <laughs> right. But he just doesn't know what happened. It was basically belief, and so yeah. at that point, you know, he he thought he was telling himself a lie. But at the end of the day, they believed they can come back. They didn't get. They didn't quit. They could. I mean, seriously, dude. If I'm down by twenty three, obviously you play until the whistle. The, the clock strikes zero, but, man, not a lot of confidence because it's like what we've been doing up to this point and we've been relying on what, what we've done all year and it's not working, right? right. And and just, but when, when you can't make shots, I mean, that's a huge part of the game. You got to make baskets. And then when they started doing the press and they started creating those second-half turnovers and they started scoring buckets, whether it was, you know, even if it was trading buckets at the time, it helped them drastically you know, get in the rhythm, and man, they from then on, they it was like they flipped that switch, like we talked about before, and the, and dude, it was an epic comeback. I did watch the highlights afterwards, sure. and I just regretted not watching <laughs> the rest of the game. Um, so with Duke's win against Louisville, which was a ranked team, everybody, let's not forget that oh. it's not like Louisville was a scrub. Yeah. Uh, it was a it was a ranked uh, Louisville team, and it was in Louisville. I mean, it wasn't. It, it certainly wasn't a home game for Duke yep. or anything. Uh, and so they would follow that up with a win at home against NC State uh, uh, on on Saturday, and that coupled with Tennessee's loss uh, to a you know obviously to number five at that time, uh, Kentucky team allowed Duke to reclaim the number one position in the AP Top 25 poll for this week. Well-deserved, too. I mean, there was a, when you talk about Louisville, there's that was a team that, you know, lost a close game to Florida State. They, you know, and they were ranked, and, they, and then they just seemed to be reeling a little bit, right? And then Duke yep. gets, that, gets that huge come-from-behind win. And then, you know, like you said, Tennessee, Tennessee just gets mollywhopped. <laughs> by Kentucky yeah. and then Duke deservingly is the number one team again in the nation and and you look at a team that's been very consistent similar to Tennessee you know went on a huge run won so many games in a row and then Kentucky coupled with their loss to LSU you know where you knew it was going to be a good game somebody right. asked me I went to drop my kid off at the daycare and he was like what do you think about the Kentucky I'm very looking forward to that game I said yeah I said but you know even though Kentucky lost to LSU which was this controversial in itself. I was right. like, Kentucky is going to be ready to play Tennessee. And I said, it would not surprise me if they beat them. Oh, I, didn't, I, didn't, yeah, I, mean, I didn't imagine or, or see the amount of domination and them going and shooting lights out, basically. But they went in there and showed everybody why they were ranked so high at the beginning of the year. I mean, they might have lost four games on the year, but when you look at it, this team is playing and they're hot right now. Whether they lost to LSU or, or recently or not, they're still a hot team. The uh, I was asked the question the other day, if Duke and Kentucky were to play now as opposed to the first game of the season, what would you know? What do I think that the outcome would be the same? I still got to go with Duke winning that game, but it's certainly not going to be the, the demolishing mollywop that it was that first game of the season. Kentucky's a much different team, as is Duke at this point. But Kentucky has learned to play well together. Uh, they, they know what everybody can do on that court, and they know how to put guys in the right position. So it would be a completely different game than it was last time. Oh, I agree with you. I, I, I'd have to lean towards Duke, too. But it definitely would be a lot closer. I mean, 
I'm looking at it coming down to the last minute, you know, somebody having to hit some key free throws. Yeah. Um, but when it Which comes down to, well for Duke. yeah, but at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, when you look at it, Duke still has the talent to at least, I mean, it might not be a huge, a huge win, but I mean, I, I, I see them going in there and taking care of business. It's almost like, you know, when a lot of people looking at the Duke Virginia game and Virginia yep. and, and Duke goes and take care of business twice this year. Yep. Um, and then finding ways to win differently. You know, um, and they they go and shoot lights out against them in the second matchup, and when the game was totally slowed down for them the first one, and they had to figure out the way to win in that one. So, I give the I give Duke a slight advantage going against anybody, but man, it's interesting because I want to know your thoughts on this. And there was another question at the same drop off that um, this guy brought up. He was asking me how Duke is set up. They can beat anybody on any given night. We've seen them lose and play like they did and play like a half against Louisville to where they can lose to anybody on any given night. Yep. And so, and I'm not saying anybody, I would have to take that quote back because <laughs> right. there's a lot of teams that they've, just not going to be able to stand on the court. Two teams this year. Yeah. And not going to be able to stand on the court with Duke. But do you think Duke would, can be consistent enough through a tournament? Like as the NCAA tournament in itself, I'm not saying any of the earlier tournaments that they played in, but through tournament competition, can they be consistent enough to beat the Virginias, to beat the Kentuckys or, or Gonzagas of the world? So the so the thing the thing that I've been that I that I notice is that yeah we're playing you know we, we start four freshmen on the court and it seems as though sometimes it's a little hard for them to get started uh, quickly. They um, uh, I don't want to say they play down to the competition or anything like that, but they're still riding the high off of a big win. My, my biggest concern about the Louisville game was that they were going to be riding so high off of that Virginia win the previous uh, the previous couple of days beforehand that they were it was going to get off to a slow start, and they did, and they like to have never recovered. There's a you don't ever want your team to lose, but there's kind of a part of you that wanted that wanted them to go ahead and lose that game against Louisville to say, hey, you can't take anybody lightly. You gotta you know you gotta you gotta hang in there. You gotta play tough. Yes, Duke can play consistently enough because I think what this Duke team has that other teams haven't, even though they don't have the dominant outside shooting that they've had in years past, the thing that they do have about this this team this year is that they can switch on defense and they play outstanding, great defense. And it takes a team that is shooting phenomenally well to to put Duke on the ropes. Uh, the, the game against Louisville, they shot 37% from behind three-point line. Uh, that, that that You're shooting at a clip right there, man. You shot over 40% from the field. And that's not I mean, – some of those shots, uh, <laughs> they weren't exactly wide open when they were shooting those things up and throwing them in. Yeah, you look at it, man. Duke is just a talented team, and I, I, I would give them the edge to, to when you look at it, they're going to be competitive. They're gonna, they're gonna be, they're gonna make a run all the way to the end. Um, hey, man, and, there's and, a game coming up this this Wednesday night, man. They got a big rivalry game coming up. It's gonna tell us a lot about this Duke team and how well they're able to grow up as they play uh, North Carolina on rivalry week. Rivalry week. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to. Just, you know, because they keep falling back on this youth thing. But I'm like, man, these kids are playing. They're not showing that they're freshmen, right? They're playing like they're they're mature veterans. And and so when I look at it, I'm like, okay, that's a good question, I guess, and and to generate some discussion and some debate, maybe. I said, but if you look at any of these other teams, any of these other top tier teams, I mean, Kentucky. I mean, look. take them for example. They have young cats everywhere. All these teams that 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 are typical run of the mill powerhouses. They're just basically have a huge class of freshmen running the team anyway look the, the thing about it is is that it's not like it's not like it was in the 80s or the 90s or anything like that these guys are playing travel ball all year long they're playing on these aau teams man they're going and they're playing in exactly. in high profile games and they're playing against this kind of competition all the time it's not like you're just playing high school ball and you're playing against the best guys in your state and you and there may be a huge difference between you and somebody else i mean you're playing against the best of the best these guys right here are playing against each other all year round yeah, that is true. So let's let's finish on and look at the AP top twenty-five here. Let's finish the discussion of you know Duke went number one. Yep. We'll talk about you know Gonzaga landing number two, and when you look at it, they moved up a spot, followed by Virginia and John Calipari's Wildcats at four, which is a huge move for them guys. You know, it, obviously it's a it's a they moved up one spot from fifth. And yep. talking about the Wildcats, but man, they're a good team even after the loss to LSU. Um, Nevada, Michigan, North Carolina, Houston, and Michigan State, they rounded the top 10. But LSU made the week's biggest jump, and, and rightfully so, after beating and climbing six spots to number 13 after last week's win at Kentucky, which was huge for them. 
Yeah, man, even even though that there was some controversy surrounding that last play, and yeah, okay, uh, the bucket shouldn't have counted, LSU shouldn't, I mean, uh, and all, all things considered, LSU shouldn't have necessarily won that game, but as we always say, man, no game rests on one play. I mean, exactly. there were certain plays that Kentucky could have made, so it didn't come down to that last shot, so, I mean, at the end of the day, LSU won the game, and so they move up, so congratulations to them. And when you look at it, no new teams, which is for the first time this year, jumped into the top 25. Yep. So that that's that's very rare to see that, but hey, man, uh, it happened. That and that kind of that kind of rounds out the, uh, the 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 kind of the major movers and shakers uh, as far as the top twenty-five is concerned. So, man, uh, you know that that kind of rounds it out for this week. Got some big stuff coming up this week, but man, let's jump into talking about. Just tag on here just for a moment about the power rankings as it looks like it's going into uh, as we stand right now at this particular time of the season. Yeah, without a doubt, we've talked about most of the year where you know the elite group of four and now it's time it looks like with Kentucky's run you got to bump that elite group up to five teams and include Kentucky now they have to be in the conversation especially watching what they did against Tennessee which which a lot of people were saying the best team in the nation and looking like it from time to time and then you know obviously they struggled after they got number one for the first week learning how to win and learning how to be hunted instead of being the hunter but sure. now that they've lost and completely got dismantled um, from from Kentucky, you got to throw Kentucky in this conversation. Sure. So I mean, you know, put at the top five right now: Duke at number one, Virginia at number two, uh, Tennessee at number three, Gonzaga at number four, and then Kentucky at number five. And as a reminder, guys, this is the power rankings that we're talking about right now. So uh, you know, technically, what we feel like are the five uh, top teams in the league. Uh, in the nation right now, and so yeah, man, I, I think you got to put Kentucky back up in there. Not you know, let's not forget where they where they started the season off, ranked at uh, you know, ranked up there in the top five to begin the year until that you know the the, the loss they had to Duke the uh, first game of the season. But this is a different team, and this is a really good team. Yeah, it's just hard to overcome because it's like the first impression, you know, is a, losing to Duke by 34 to start the year off. Yeah, you know, and they've been on a run. Don't get me wrong, but it's like it's just. It's just funny from, you know, I, I remember episodes ago when we were talking about, hey, we're not talking about Kentucky, so, and that's not right. a good thing. And now we've been talking about them, you know. And, and so take the entire season into account, and it's pretty clear, like we said, that Kentucky belongs among the best teams so far in the country right now. Um, they've only lost three games since November 6th by a combined five points. So they're not when they lose, they're not getting blown out, right? Right. And so when you look at it again – They've beaten teams. They've beaten the Tennessee. They've beaten North Carolina. They've beaten Kansas. They've beaten Louisville. So it's huge. This team is legit. And so you sure. can't really just rule them out. But there was a lot of people, even us at the beginning of the year, was like, dude, Kentucky has to figure something out quick. And they start, and, and obviously they're doing it. Well, I, they, they certainly are. So I, I would agree, man. Let's put them up there as, a, as a, the top five as one section. Then there's a whole other group of, of teams that are that are right there that are knocking on the door. Michigan was in that group at one point in time in the season. Yeah. We got them sitting at number six. Uh, but after some after some interesting losses and trying to figure out who they are and kind of uh, after they seem to peak, kind of falling down the hill a little bit, Michigan falls to number six. Uh, Houston, a team nobody's talking about, mainly because of the conference that they play in and uh, the lack of competition they play week in and week out. Uh, they're sitting there at number seven. And then at number eight, a team that really has a chance to make a big statement this week, the North Carolina Tar Heels. They play in Durham against Duke on Wednesday night. And then they've got Florida State coming to Chapel Hill this week. Two uh, really good teams uh, that they has a chance to, that North Carolina has a chance to really make a statement and say, hey, we deserve to be in that top group as well. Without a doubt. And the good thing, the, the, the good thing that's going on, on my side, your team, number one in the nation, right? And so, that's a huge test for North Carolina, but Florida State is on a roll as well. They've won seven in a row. They got a game tomorrow night against Clemson, and then they got a game again on Saturday against North Carolina. But they're playing some good ball right now, and so it's going to be exciting again. And, and now I'm excited again for Florida State playing some <laughs> of these teams. And and if if North Carolina could even win one of these games, it's going to be huge for them. But no it's it, you just want to see a very competitive game between any of these teams that play. No, no I don't. No, I, I want to see Duke blow out Carolina. I do not want to see. Oh yeah, well, without a doubt. I'm not saying you want to see North Carolina. I'm talking about you know, it's just it's good to see this level of competition because North Carolina is always going to be there. I know, you know what you were saying. I'm just saying from <laughs> from, from your vantage point, game. right? I do not want to see a close game at all. I want to see a a a, a, a molly wop, as we like to say. 
Yeah, when you got you got to monitor the status of Nassar a little, though. I mean, yes. he only played 11 minutes in the first half against Wake Forest, you know, after suffering the ankle injury against Virginia last week. So we'll see. I know they're probably really holding him back for right now, but that's a huge blow if he can't play in any of these games. If I had, if I had anything to, to bet, I would say that he's going to play in this game. Oh, yeah. I mean, dude, is it's he's, <laughs> he's gonna, uh, you know he's it's North play. Carolina and Duke ha, he has to be ready for that one he's right? gonna play yeah no doubt uh, go ahead so let's look at Michigan State man you know and then Nevada the Wolfpack they they round out the top ten but you know how will Tom Izzo adjust the life without Nick Ward moving forward that's a huge blow man there's another team, team man that's just had seems to have injury after injury after injury coming up on their season that them in Kansas I think have had the worst luck with injuries this year so. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, man. How in the world are they going to you know, flip the switch here and, and be able to move forward with a with a team that still had a lot of expectations and a lot of high hopes for this season? Yeah, when you look forward, and we talked about this, cat earlier in the year when we were talking about Michigan State briefly, you know, you know Cassius Winston, you know, how far that – he's going to be the one that has to carry this team. So how far he takes them, um, that's as, probably as far as Michigan State go, will go. But Tom Izzo, he's a great coach. Just like that, he is. You know, he 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 knows how to coach his teams up during the year and make adjustments to be there towards the end. And so, you know, you can't put it past him and his team making a a, a big a deep tournament run. True story. And then to round out the top ten, you mentioned just a moment ago the Nevada Wolfpack. Uh, an, an unproven team that has, uh, you know, that definitely has some upperclassmen that are helping lead the way. They've only got one loss on the season, uh, but they just don't play a whole lot of competition there. Uh, they aren't playing any kind of ranked opponents or any any other teams that will be up there playing in the uh, in the big dance at the end of the season. But they continue to do what they need to do, which is win games, and so it continues to put them in a position to where we need to talk about them. Definitely. So, man, let's let's move on from the power rankings. I mean, obviously, we're not going to talk about some of the teams that are right there on the edge. I mean, we could have talked about Kansas. We can talk about Mar- Marquette, Purdue, LSU, Louisville, uh, Iowa State. The list goes on. But let's move on to another question. And again, yep. guys, we're, I'm not trying to harp on harp on Duke or harp on our teams, but I got to ask this question because this came up a conversation. And this, I think, is a good point or, or a good question to ask you. Um, with you being a Duke fan and, and me watching this cat during this year, will Zion Williamson be the number one pick in the draft? When, take everything into account. Take everything yep. that's been done to date. If the yep. season ended today or if the season when the season does end, is he going to be the number one pick? So you kind of look at everything in, in its totality. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a fun conversation to have. Uh, he has, we're not even in March yet. He hasn't declared yet. Uh, the draft isn't until June. Uh, I think all signs point to the fact that he is going to he, he's going to uh, certainly declare at some point in time. But when you look at look at his skill set, when you look at what he's able to do, um, I, I hear I hear the conversations that the majority of teams would probably select him uh, number one overall. Uh, some of that has to do with the fact that they don't necessarily want to bypass up on his uh, box office ability or anything like that. But the conversation that I also hear is that while that's all, while that's true and they would, and they would draft Williamson number one, there are still a lot of GMs out there that think that RJ Barrett's game transitions better to the NBA uh, than Zion's. I just don't, I don't know that you can look past his athletic ability. Uh, he's, he's got it all. He just doesn't, he, he's still developing that jump shot, which I think will still come. Uh, but there are some that say that. And, and right now it looks like Williamson has the number one odds to go number one overall, but he's followed up really, really close with RJ Barrett there, uh, followed by Murray States, Jay, Jay Morant, and then Cam Reddish is sitting there as well as a possibility. Yeah, when you look at it though, man, again, I get it. You can see the level of talent R.J. Barrett has. He's definitely not somebody that you can pass up on if he's still on the board. But, man, at the end of the day, as long as this cat's healthy, and, <laughs> and I don't know how. I mean, when you have a big body like he has, you know, typically the longevity of somebody staying healthy is very slim. I mean, right. or, you know, very low percentage-wise. But this kid, you know, the the way – how quick he is – to be mm-hmm. how big he is and that, yep. to his overall game and, and, and whether he's just dunking the ball or not, man, and what he brings day in and day out. You take R.J. Barrett, put him in, in on any NBA team, he's going to make some stuff happen. Yep. But you bring, you from a money standpoint, <laughs> from filling the seats, dude. People will from day From day zero. I mean, we're not even on day one yet. You talk about this kid, once he declares for the NBA, 
and and the and the and just the just the possibility of him being your team is going to sell seats, right? And so Zion landing at the number one spot from just a money standpoint, you would be it, it's like it, to me it's stupid to because of the following he already has with them. Yep. Um, to to pass up on this kid. And so if he's on the board, obviously, if to be the first player picked, you have to still be on the board because nobody was picked before you. But <laughs> if somebody overlooks the, what he brings to them, I just – I got it. R.J. Barrett might have the better outside shot. R.J. Barrett might, at the end of the day, have the overall better game. But just what Zion and, and just seeing what he's been able to do. I mean, obviously, it, it, it goes flip-flops from who has the better game or not – Duke when you're watching them play yeah RJ Barrett shows out RJ Barrett struggles you know Zion shows out like he did this past game scoring 32 you know Barrett goes off for like 16 or something not a lot you know but there's there's a huge difference and and some of those that's just the ebbs and flows of the game and you're gonna have that because you'll have Zion go out and only score 18 somebody yeah about to say somebody's hot in one game right RJ Barrett gets the first I mean only the fourth triple double in Duke history this past Saturday well yeah yeah but a lot of that also goes into him shooting the rock as much as he does too to me sure when you look at it your odds in with 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 you having the outside shot with him able to to create when he goes to the basket with him able to create getting fouled when he goes drives to the basket he has a a, a huge upside in in his game right because he has the outside shot that Zion does not have but when you look at it how much does the outside shot have to mean when you got somebody that can defend and is as fast and could dunk from anywhere it can block anybody from anywhere in the gym I just don't see how he's passed up and I and I get it yeah. there might be some NBA guys that you know like oh Zion but art because RJ Barrett's better but at the end of the day dude who's going to make you more money it's going to be Zion all day I want to see him in the dunk contest next season you have to right because <laughs> one of those things if he does it there's a problem and, and one of those things that we we have not has been elusive to us and I'm not a huge – I watch the NBA, right? I, well, yeah. let me take that back. I, I follow the NBA during the season. I watch the highlights, and I really watch it during the playoffs. A lot of things I do, I play college baseball. I watch college baseball. But it, Omaha, when they go to – I watch that. You know, same thing with the Major League Baseball. They play – it's just – some of these play – they just play too many games during the year, you know, to where it is it is what it is. Um, and so you really tune in during the playoffs. And so – um, one of those things that I just hate that we haven't seen to date is the scene like LeBron James in a dunk contest. Right. We saw yeah. Michael Jordan, right? Yep. So the, these players that you've always wanted to see, he's never done it. And so Kobe. Kobe did it. it. No, exactly. Kobe does it. And so to see Zion, which is a lot of people are looking at him to be the next once in a lifetime generation type player, he has to do it. Right. right. And a lot of people were like, I don't know why you not do it if you had the ability. You know, Seth Curry, he might be the best three point shooter in the world, but he goes out and, and does a three point competition. Right. You know, he's not out there dunking the ball and he can dunk, but obviously <laughs> you're not going to see him in a dunk contest. Nobody wants to see yeah. Seth Curry nobody, in a dunk nobody contest. Wants to see that. Yeah, nobody, he's not going to be doing your 360s and, and jumping over Lamborghinis and, and airplanes or whatever it is. Airplanes. You know, did you not see the <laughs> dunk contest? Yeah, yes. fall apart like the. It's like you just broke a popsicle made airplane, right? Like, dude, that's uh, not very impressive. Somebody just jumped over Shaq and held his elbow in the rim, right? Can I just say something? I know this isn't this has got nothing to do with college, uh, college basketball, college football. But how bad do I feel for Dennis Smith Jr. that you're going to bring Dwayne Wade out there to jump over oh. him? My, my, my guy just jumped over Shaq. I mean, I was like, womp, womp, womp. Exactly. Womp. Epic flop, epic yep. fail. Sorry, oh, yeah. guys, we, we switched anyway. off on the NBA. But hey, hey. that that we had uh, that was a good segue and a good transition. But man, like always, brother, it was good talking to you this episode. Thanks for jumping on and talking some college football and college basketball with me, brother. Yeah, man, it's always fun. Looking forward to this week. Everybody, turn in uh, Wednesday night, nine o'clock. Duke and UNC, the game <laughs> of the week, baby. Hey, guys, don't forget Florida State plays Tuesday <laughs> against Clemson, and then they play UNC on Saturday. So, there you go. just if you there don't you know go. what times the, those are, just look it up. <laughs> All right, my man. But guys, thank you so much for listening to episode twenty-three of the College Sports Hour. Make sure to check out our new website at collegesportshour.com and support us by listening to us through our website on Radio Public. Our podcast can be found on other platforms as well. 
Don't worry, guys. If, you, if you're not on this, this Radio Public app, you can hear us through iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, TuneIn Radio, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. But, man, we really would love for you guys to help us out and support us through Radio Public. The cool thing about Radio Republic is they, they, give, they really support podcasting. And, and it, the cool thing about it is if you download it, it's, it's in the um, iTunes app store. It's on your Android app. It's an application that if you're already s- subscribed to a podcast, whether it's through iTunes, whether it's through Spotify, Google Play Music, whatever platform you listen to podcasts through, if you download Radio Public, they allow you to import that one into their, on, on, into their platform. And then it helps support us by continuing to do this. The cool thing is they have a, a paid listeners program, which we've joined. So anytime somebody listens to our podcast, we earn, it's not a ton of money, guys. It's pennies, right? We ain't doing it for the money, guys. But but this is exactly, but it, but it helps us continue and, and, and up our value, right? And the production that we can put into this and the time we can spend on doing this. Because, guys, we have big dreams, but it, it they're only going to go so far without people's help, right? And we don't ask for donations or anything like that. But, guys... Just like you're listening to us or any other podcast, if you can support a podcast show, it's huge and it makes a huge dividend. The cool thing is if you listen to three episodes in a row, we get a loyal listeners. You know, you help us boost up, boost our listeners rate on that with a loyal listeners program. And that's cool. And it helps us out drastically there, too. But guys, like always, like and follow us on Facebook. We really are, want to grow our community there. We're going to try to really dive into our group and build that up. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say, brother, before we jump off? Like and share, like and share, give us a review, download the Radio Public app. Please do that, guys. That's going to help us out so much. You're going to be supporting us. You're going to be supporting other podcasts like us. Man, it's going to be a great thing. Looking forward to jumping on here next week and continuing the conversation with the College Sports Hour Nation. Awesome, man. I love that. Hey, guys, but remember, like always, we got to close the show out with giving a special shout-out. To all our family and friends, to include our listeners, followers, and subscribers, guys, because if without you, we couldn't do what we're doing. Thanks for continuing to support what we do. Don't forget, guys, to join us next week for another episode of the College Sports Hour.